All right. Good morning, Journey. How are you guys today? All right. Hey, there we go. A little, uh, uh, few applause there. So some of you guys are good. Some of you hopefully are about to get better. So, uh, hey, we are wrapping up stages today. It's been an incredible series. We've had a great time uh, sharing it with you guys. Several of our pastors have shared uh, up to this point. They've done an incredible job. It's been a really fun uh, series. I don't know about you guys. If you were here last week or if you caught it online, and special welcome to you guys joining us there uh, online. We're glad you guys are here. But I was really hoping Pastor Nate was going to jump over that hurdle. So uh, maybe, maybe at some time point in the future, we'll get to see that. But it's been a fun series. I hope you guys have enjoyed it. I get to wrap it up today, and we're going to finish up the series by looking at another fun truth. And it is, it is this, it is that one day your life will come to an end, right? Yay. We all know this to be true, right? At some point, our life is going to be over, that our life here on earth will cease to exist. Our life in eternity will begin at that point. We know that to be true. And so what we want to do is we want to live in such a way that we are efficient and effective in the life, the time span that God has given us. So we want to live effective, impactful lives, right? I've never talked to anyone who said, man, I'm just really hoping at the end of my life that I've not made a difference at all. So we know one day our life is going to end. We all want our life to matter and to make a difference, if not to the entire world, at least to our world, right? To the people that we get to have an impact on, the people that we live with, the people that we come in contact with on the regular. And so the Bible puts it this way. It says, just as each person is destined to die once, again, a reminder that one day this life will come to an end. And after that comes the judgment. And so when we're seeking to make our life all that it can be, we oftentimes seek to make life also as easy as it can possibly be. So I don't know about you guys, but from time to time, I enjoy a good life hack. Raise your hand. You enjoy a good life hack. If you don't know what life hack is, I'm going to tell you to go to YouTube to search life hack and we will see you in a couple of days, right? You're just going, it's things that supposedly are meant to make life easier, but I'm going to be honest with you, about 98% of them make your life harder, right? You, don't, you actually don't want to do them. There are a few, though, that I found to be extremely helpful. And so here's what a life hack is before we get into it. It's a strategy or a technique adopted in order to manage one's time and daily activities in a more efficient way. In other words, I'm going to get more done because I apply this to my life or I'm going to fix a problem and the day is going to be better. So here are a few life hacks that I've learned over the period of my life that I want to share with you guys. Now, you may leave and you may go, I'm going to apply everything Daniel taught today and only apply these life hacks. This is not what I want you to leave and do, okay? But hopefully at some point this might make your life a little easier. The first one is this, is when I was growing up, I spent a lot of time with my grandparents and one day my granddad realized that the milk was gone. And so probably one of us grandkids had poured the last of the milk in cereal, placed the jug back in the refrigerator, right? Because that's where you store empty jugs, right? No. And so we placed it back in the refrigerator. He went in, realized there was no milk, had already poured his cornflakes and took it as an opportunity to teach me that if you've already poured your bowl of cereal and you then realize that you do not have any milk, you can just put orange juice on top of them. Right. Right. Right there on the spot. I'm here to tell you guys horrible life hack. Don't ever try. It's the worst thing I ever put 
in my mouth. It was horrible. Also, maybe when I was growing up, I discovered something called the Konami code. Any any nerds in here, right? You know what I'm talking about. That goes something like this. Up, up, down, down, left, right, left, right, be a start. And all of a sudden you have 30 lives in Contra, right? I'm talking about changing your life type stuff at the age of eight to truly a life hack. First one I truly discovered as a little kid. Here, here's a few more that I've discovered as I walk through life that as you drop your phone in water, you can put it in a bowl or a bag of rice and supposedly it will pull the moisture out. I can tell you from experience, it also will get rice uh, lobbed into your charging port and you will never be able to use your phone again. So use at your own risk. We had a friend in Mobile who utilized this. She kept running through the front of her garage, which is a bad thing, right? Didn't know when to stop. Like, maybe the door is going to hit. Maybe I can go a little bit further. All of a sudden, the sheetrock is busted. And so her husband went out to the garage, got her to pull to where she was supposed to be, tied a string and a tennis ball on the end of it. And from then on, complete life hack, right? Just pull into the windshield, hits the tennis ball, and you will never run through the garage again. If you have that problem, I would love to meet you. Also, hopefully, this will change your life. Here's one that I bet you didn't know, that if you go to light your grill, realize you're out of lighter fluid, but you have a bag of Doritos handily, there you go, right? You guys are eating those, and that's uh, you can literally start a fire with them. And so uh, that that is true, by the way. So go home, try it. And I have one final one that if you're a parent in the room, would you just, I don't want to embarrass you, just raise your hand. You're a parent in the room. This will change your life for sure. If the kids won't go to sleep at night, here you go, z Nighttime, I'm kidding. Do not give your kids sleep aid unless the doctor has told you to. But look, these are things that are meant to make our life easier, right? They're, they're life hacks, we call them, but they're really little bits of wisdom. Like, hey, here's something that you can do to be more effective as you walk through life. And doesn't the Bible do the same thing? Like all throughout scripture, God created life. He formed it. He shaped it. He formed you. He shaped you. And so when he speaks words of wisdom, we should listen. And so what I want you to see today is that Jesus has given us a life hack, if you will, some words of wisdom about how we can live life. And the the wisdom is this, is that part of being a follower of Jesus is finishing, that it's finishing, that we actually finish the things that we start. And then we're going to dig into this in just a minute, a little deeper. But I want you to know that your life as a believer should be marked by finishing things. That we shouldn't be people that start things and never finish them. That we should be people that are expected to finish the things that we start. In other words, we follow through with what we say we're going to do. That we don't just begin things with a lot of enthusiasm, but we actually finish them when we say we're going to finish them. Now, it feels like I'm preaching at you right now. I'm not. I want you to know that for years I struggle way more at this than I do now, and I still struggle with it a lot. Anybody else, you struggle, you start a lot that you got like 15 books on your coffee table that you started reading, right? And you just hadn't found a way to finish them yet that they're still sitting there. You Maybe you started cleaning out your garage like 15 times. Right. Every time it grows larger. Right. It's like, man, I made some progress three days later. You're like, where did all this stuff come from? Next thing you know, there's a family fight going on. Just bad. So you started, but you didn't finish. Maybe you started cutting your grass. Like You cut the front yard that everybody sees. I see some of you guys are you're snickering. You're guilty. But you leave that backyard alone. Right. That's every two week project or maybe once a month, depending on who's coming over. And so we start things, but then we don't finish them. What we're going to see through scripture is this today is that part of being a follower of Jesus is actually finishing. And this is something we do in every area of our life. Here's what the Bible says in the book of Acts. 
This is Paul speaking uh, to this issue specifically. He says, I consider my life worth nothing to me. My only aim is to what is to finish the race and complete the task the Lord Jesus has given me. The task of testifying to the good news of God's grace. And then Jesus shares this principle with us in Luke chapter 14. If you have a Bible, you can open it there. It's where we'll be for the rest of the day. Verses 25 through verses 33. They say this. A large crowd was following Jesus. And he turned around and he said to them, If you want to be my disciple, you must hate everyone else by comparison. Your father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, even your own life. Otherwise, you cannot be my disciple. And if you do not carry your own cross and follow me, you cannot be my disciple. But don't begin until you count the cost. For who would begin construction of a building without first calculating the cost to see if there's enough money to finish it? Otherwise, you might complete only the foundation before running out of money, and then everyone would laugh at you. And they would say, there's the person who started that building and couldn't afford to finish it. Or what king would go to war against another king without first sitting down with his counselors to discuss whether his army of 10,000 could defeat the 20,000 soldiers marching against him? And if he can't, he will send a delegation to discuss terms of peace For the enemy is still far away. So you cannot become my disciple without giving up everything that you own. So a few things from this passage that we're going to pull out today. That I believe Jesus is trying to teach me and you, those who are hearing him that day, about what it means to follow him and about what it means to finish. And the first thing is this, that if we're going to be people who finish, we have to decide that we're going to be all in. That at some point, there has to be a decision. You will not become a person who finishes on accident. You won't finish your walk with God in a great way on accident. You won't finish your marriage in a great way on accident. You won't finish with your finances in a great way on accident. It all begins with a decision at some point. And so we make this decision. I want you to hear this. I want you to hear me say this today is that you can't finish what you don't start. (laughs) And so you have to start. There's to be a time and a point in your life where you go, this is where I started. And Jesus is being very specific here. He's saying that where you start is with me. And when you start with me, you have to give up everything. This is the starting line. It starts with Jesus and it starts with me completely giving everything that I have away to him and going, now, God, you are in control of my life. That's the beginning point. And in just a moment, if you hadn't started yet, we're going to give you a a chance to start. The rest of this is good information. But if you hadn't began your life with Jesus, then that's all it is. It's just information. Right. And so this is where you start. You start with him. And it's never too late. Never too late to start and to begin that relationship with Jesus. So maybe you're here and you're like, you know what? This stuff is is just too late for me to finish well. I'd say as long as you're breathing, it's never too late, right? You're here. God still has something for you. And so we're going to finish. Here's what, what, what Jesus is doing. We learned this through the passage that Jesus' purpose was not to gather large crowds. It was to develop true disciples. And so all throughout Jesus' ministry... We see him attracting large crowds. People want to see what's going on, right? It's happening here. They've already, they've seen miracles. They've seen Jesus feed people and continue to hand out food when it should have given out thousands of people ago. They, they've seen him take a man who cannot see and give him sight. 
They've seen him take a man who could not walk and, and give him the ability to walk. They've seen him cast out demons, right? They've seen this. They've heard the teaching that's fun and that attracts large crowds of people. They've seen him argue with other religious leaders and win every time. And they want to be a part of it. But several times throughout Scripture, we see Jesus breaking those crowds down. In fact, the first time we see it is in Luke chapter 9, I believe. And Jesus is having a conversation with, with the crowds that have gathered around him. And Jesus says, hey, I, I just want you guys to know, right? This is my paraphrase. I'm glad you guys are here. But if you're not willing to eat my flesh and drink my blood, you can't be my disciple, right? That'll get the crowds, right? They all leave. They're like, man, I'm not doing that. I'm out of here. I don't know what he's talking about. And so the crowds had grown again. And Jesus begins to share again what it truly costs to be a disciple of his. And over and over and over again, Jesus' words to you and to me are, if you're going to be a disciple of me, it is going to cost you everything. Absolutely everything. Now, I want you to know as we walk through this that it will cost you everything to follow Jesus, but you will gain everything in the process. But he's saying, hey, if you're going to come after me, here's what it takes. You're going to have to take up your cross and you're going to have to follow me. Also, he's saying this. He's not saying to love others less. We read that word hate. Right. We automatically think of our definition of hate in our society. And that's not what Jesus is saying here. It's where language gets a little bit mixed up. And so he's comparing things. He's saying, listen, when people look at the love that you have for your spouse or for your kids or even for your own life. Right. We love ourselves because when people look at those things compared to the love that you have for me, it should look like hate. In other words, your love for me should be so much greater than your love for anyone or anything else that there should be no doubt in the minds of anyone who looks at you where your true allegiance always lies. He said this uh, of how often we should do it again in Luke 9. He said to the crowd, if any of you wants to be my follower, you must turn from your selfish ways. Again, that's us, right? We're selfish people. Maybe you're here today and you're going, I'm not selfish. Look at your spouse if they're next to you. They will correct you, right? We are selfish individuals. That that is who we are. We're fallen. And so he says, uh, if you must, you must turn from your selfish ways, take up your cross. How often? Take it up daily. Every single day that you wake up and you say, I'm surrendering my life to Jesus all over again. This is where it begins. There's a moment in time where it begins for the first time. For me at the age of 17, I knelt at the end of my bed and I said, Lord, you can have my life. That, that it's not just about knowing Jesus anymore. It's not just about going to heaven. It's not about doing the religious church thing that I know I'm supposed to do. But at this point right now, 17 year old Daniel, I'm surrendering my life completely to you and you do whatever you want with my life. You take it. And you know what? From that point on, I've lived that out perfectly. I'm kidding. Y'all, <laughs> y'all can laugh. Nobody does that. Right? I don't. There are times when my wife says something that rubs me the wrong way, and I do not respond by saying, you are God's greatest gift to me. Right? That's not, that, that's not what comes out here. There are times that my daughter has woken up, and I've asked her to do something. At about 3 o'clock, I'm still asking her to do the same thing. And again, what comes out probably is it's not holy, and it's not just, and it's not righteous, and it's certainly probably not the way God would have me respond. But I fall flat sometimes, right? I make a mistake. The whole house ends up crying. It's a horrible ordeal, and it's wrong. And I know I hadn't done what God wanted me to do. And so every day I have to take it up. 
Every day I go, that's how I want to respond. That's not how Jesus wants me to respond. So that's not what I'm going to do. Every day I go, that's how I want to spend my time. That's not how God has called me to spend my time. And so I'm going to crucify the will of Daniel all over again. It's a daily decision. And listen, every day it's a moment-by-moment decision. That every moment, as a follower of Jesus, I'm having to decide between my will and the will of the God who created me and knows how I can live life best. And it's a decision every moment for me to go, you know what, God, I'm going to do what you want me to do in this circumstance. As a husband, I'm going to do what you want me to do. I'm going to say what you want me to say. As a father, I'm going to do what you want me to do and say what you want me to say. As someone who's managing the resources that you've given me, I'm going to use them in the way that you want me to, and I'm not going to buy another boat, right? That's not going to do it. I'm going to use them the way you want me to, right? All throughout, every decision we make. As a leader, Lord, I'm going to respond in the way that you want me to do, and I'm going to take the path that you want me to take every single day and every single moment of every day. We choose to start our relationship with Jesus, and we crucify ourselves. Jesus is telling the crowd, He's like, hey, before we even get to finishing, I want you to know that you have to start. That you have to start. And it's not a one-time decision. You're starting over and over and over again. And every day, you choose to surrender your will and your desires to the will and desires that I have for your life. We can't compartmentalize Jesus in our life. He's asking for control of every single bit of it. And so we make that decision. Second, we determine where we want to end up. We determine where we want to end up. Have you ever gotten in the car with someone? This doesn't happen to me as an adult. I think I make wiser decisions. As a teenager, a friend would come by. I'd hop in the vehicle. We'd get on the road. I'd go, where are we going? (laughs) That's a bad idea, right, as a teenager. It's a worse idea as an adult, right? Horrible, horrible idea. So generally, I know where I'm going. But wouldn't you say that's how most of us live life? That if somebody asks you right now, hey, where are you going? Where do you want to end up? Right When you finish, what do you want that to look like? Wouldn't the majority of us just have to say, man, I'm just living life. Right? Just one decision at a time. Just one day at a time. I really don't have a plan. I don't have a vision. I don't have a dream. I'm just kind of going through the motions. Right? And I don't know where I'm going to end up. We'll all be surprised when we get there. Right? That's not a good way to travel. And so you need to know where you're going. And so I would encourage you today to determine in the major areas of your life and in your life overall, where do you want to finish? Where is it that you are traveling to? In fact, if you take notes, jot this down. You're going to end up somewhere. You might as well end up somewhere on purpose. You're going to end somewhere. And so make sure that you're ending up somewhere on purpose. For us, it works out this way as followers of Jesus. We must constantly ask, what is God's vision for this area of my life? What is God's vision for this area of my life? Trying to make a big decision? As a follower of Jesus, I'm asking, Lord, what is it that you want for me in this area of my life? You want me to go? You want me to stay? You want me to buy? You want me to pass? What do you want from me, Lord? You want me to stay in this job? You want me to find another one? What do you want us to do in our marriage? God, what does that look like? What is your vision? What is your dream? What do you want? What do you desire for us? And you may be going, Daniel, I just expect God to to speak out of error. And I'll let you know that sometimes you certainly will sense the Holy Spirit speaking to you. But God always speaks through his word. 
And so if you want to know God's dream, God's vision, God's desire for your life, even the specific areas of it, then simply pick up his word and begin to read. The Bible says this about vision in the book of Proverbs. It says, where there is no vision, and you you can separate where you can insert words there, if you will, where there's no vision, where there's no dream, where there's no purpose, where there's no direction, the people perish But he that keepeth the law, happy is he. Here's the way it is in another translation. It says, when the people do not accept divine guidance. In other words, when they do not accept God's vision, God's dream, God's purpose for their life, they run wild. There's no direction. They're just running all over the place. You guys have toddlers? Anybody in the room? This is your life, right? And and scripture is saying that that's the life of most of us as an adult. That we're not physically running all over the place, but there's no dream, there's no direction, there's no purpose to our life. We hadn't stopped and said, God, what do you want from me? And it looks like we're running wild, but look, but whoever obeys the law, again, getting back into the word, is joyful. Whoever obeys the law is joyful. So again, as followers of Jesus, we're stopping and we're asking, Lord, what is it that you want from my life? Let's go back to verse where Paul that we looked at earlier and look at something else. He says, I consider my life worth nothing to me. My only aim is to finish the race and complete the task. Look, to complete the vision, to complete the dream, to complete the purpose the Lord Jesus has given me. That ain't just true for Paul, you guys. God didn't go, I'm just going to create Paul for a purpose and everybody else. I'm just going to leave you guys wandering around without vision or without purpose and and hope the best for you. He created you on purpose for a purpose. And so take time to discover what it is that God created you to be. And all of a sudden you will have direction to your life. There will be a dream. There will be something that you can focus on, a destination that you actually want to end up at. Now, here's a few tips on how to discover that. Look at your life and ask yourself this question. Where do you get at? Where do you get at? God has given you gifts and abilities for a reason and for a purpose. And they're not just to have fun. Hopefully you're, you're having fun at the things that you're good at. But he's given you those so that you can have an impact on the kingdom and so that you can live out what he created you for. And so go ahead, jot them down in the margin. You're taking notes. What are you good at? What are some things that you're good at? This isn't a time for false humility, right? This is literally take an honest look at your life and go, here's some things that God has gifted me to do and began to ask the question, what should I do with them? If that's something that I'm good at, if that's something that God has gifted me to do, then how should I carry that out in my life? What should I do with it? So what are you good at? Second thing to, to think through, what have you been through? What have you been through? What difficult thing have you been through in your life that you spend more energy hiding than you spend using? Right? There's absolutely nothing in your life that has happened that God does not want to use to help someone else who is walking along the same path of faith that you are. So how are you using it? And have you been through a period in, in your home where it was turmoil and all of a sudden God brought peace and now you're living a completely different life, but you've never shared that with anybody. Listen, God wants to use your story to help someone else. So what have you been through? Maybe you went through a financial period where you did everything wrong and God has brought you out on the other side of that. And now you're handling his resources in a wise way. 
but you don't want anybody to know that you used to struggle. I'd say God wants to use this period of your life to help other people get into the period that you're in now. And so use it. What have you been through and how are you going to use it? Where do your gifts and what you've been through intersect? Listen, I wish we had more time to dig through this, but I will say this, that, that we have people on staff. We have pastors who would love to help you dissect this and walk through it and help you discover what you're good at and what God has created you to do and walk through some of the things that you've been through. Here's the final thing to ask. What do others see in you? What do others see in you? As a teenager, I remember sitting among a group of teenagers and they were pointing out things that they saw in other people. You guys ever been there? It's a, it's a humbling experience. And also it's shocking at times. So some people started pointing out gifts that they saw in my life and I remember going, oh, I don't want that. <laughs> like, dear Lord, please replace that with something else. Right? And they're going, hey, I see that in you. I'm going, I don't see that in myself. Like, I'm glad you guys see that, but I don't see that. But you know what? The longer I walk with God, the more I realize that those were the things he was using in my life, that the things that other people saw that I didn't have the ability to see at the moment. And so I want you to know this. Other people have wisdom you need to borrow from. They see things in your life that you do not see, and you need to listen. So we have a group for, for young adults, and I know most young adults do not experience what I did, but at the age of 17, I decided I knew everything in the world. And you may think Daniel's saying he thought he knew a lot. No, everything. I, everything is what, that's what I meant. I thought I knew everything and you couldn't talk to me for anything. I had a better idea, a better way to do it, a better way to present it, a better way to run it. I, I knew it. I knew it better than anybody who had lived it up to that point. God had given me all the gifts and I had figured it out in my own mind, right? In my own mind. And so for about a period of three years, I didn't listen to anybody. And you know what? I missed out on a lot of opportunities and a lot of things that God wanted to do in my life because I refused to listen to the wisdom of people who had gone before me. So I want to say this. If you're between ages of 18 to 25, we have a young adult ministry here, and that's why we have it. Because there's a lot of things going on in your life. And there's a lot of changes taking place and you are smart and you are wise and God has gifted you. But there are people who have walked the path before you that have wisdom that you need to listen to. Look, they may not be cool on TikTok. They may not even know what a reel is on Instagram, but they've walked with Jesus for years and they have things packed inside of their mind that you need to hear that will help you as you begin to walk with Jesus too. Right. That's why the Bible, that's why the Bible says this. It says fools think their own way is right. In other words, I don't need to listen to what you have to say. I already have it figured out. But the wise, right? Circle that. The wise listen to others. They listen to others. That's why in our parable before the king went to war, what did he do? He called his advisors together and they had a conversation. And the conversation probably went something like this. Hey, we have to go to war. Do you think we can win? And they spoke wisdom into the situation, and the king ended up making the choice. Listen, it was nobody else's choice, but he allowed others to speak wisdom into it. What area of your life do others need to speak into for you to become sharper and better and possibly even see things in your life that God has created and gifted you to do that you don't see yourself? And so allow others to speak into your life. And so we're going to figure out what it is that God wants us to do. We're going to set that destination. And then here's what we're going to do. 
We're going to take steps daily to get there. We're going to take steps daily to get there. You imagine if you wanted to end up somewhere. If, if I said, when I leave church today, I'm going to the beach. And, and anybody that wants to go with me, you guys, welcome to carpool. We'll take a couple church fans. We'll go down there. You know, the cost will be on, on one of our elders. Let's just say Billy. He's paying for everything. We're loading up in the van. We're gone. We're going down to the beach today. And you guys hopped in the van, and I went to my house and just stopped and got out and started started eating lunch. And about an hour later, you guys sweating in the van. You're like, hey, Dan, are you coming out? And you're like, no, I really want to go to the beach. I just don't want to drive down there. All right? I, I just really I don't want to drive today. And so I, I'm going to hope that I get to the beach but I'm not actually going to take any steps toward the beach. Who would agree we would never end up at the beach, right? You won't. There's a lot of us that have things that we want to happen in our life, but we've yet to put action behind them. And I would say this, if you want to be a great husband, but you're not doing anything to become a great husband, you will never become a great husband. If you want to be a great wife, but you're not doing anything to prepare you to be a great wife, You will never be a great wife. And it's true with parenting. And it's true with resources. And it's true with working. And it's true with any other area of our lives that we can have dreams and visions. But if we never put action to them, they will never come about. That's why this formula is true. That vision plus direction will always equal destination. And so I have a vision of what I want to occur. And once I put direction behind that, that's when it's actually going to occur. Look, I want to tell you guys about, about a little restaurant. It's named Asian Garden. My wife and I spent quite a few years living in, in the Mobile area, and this was one of the first restaurants that someone recommended to us. And so we went one day, and, and this is not a buffet, so I don't go ahead and just push that out of your mind. This is a sit down order, a nice type restaurant where you sit down, you order, all the food is cooked fresh, they bring it to you. But I want you to know that this is the best Chinese restaurant in the world, right? If you doubt me, then you're wrong and I'm right, all right? It's amazing. The food there is amazing. When you sit down, you order your food, they bring everybody a a little plate of entrees and on there is a spring roll. And then there's something I've never gotten anywhere else. I hope you guys can see this. There's a, there's a cheese wonton that's made. It's bite size. It's only about that size. It's a little bit. You just, you just pop it in, chew it up, about two bites, it's gone. It is the, the best cheese wonton I've ever tasted. And so when they bring the plates out, the first question I always ask is, hey, are you guys going to eat those cheese wontons? Because if you're not going to eat them, guess who is? This guy right here. Go ahead. You can pass them on over because I want them. And it is the best food that I've ever eaten in my life. Never had a bad meal there. They knew us by first name basis. If I walked in with somebody other than my wife and child, they would ask, how are Erica and Madison doing? There are people I went to church with didn't know the name of my kid. This lady knew it, right? See, that's how often we were there. They knew us by name. I loved eating there. Now, let's say that I've convinced you. It's on Hillcrest Road, Mobile, by the way. If you will Google Asian Garden, Mobile, Hillcrest Road, you will find it. Let's say I've convinced you. You're like, we're going to push lunch off a little while today. We're driving to Mobile and we're eating Asian Garden. That's where we're going today. But you go out in the parking lot, you get in your car, and you start driving toward Birmingham. Are you ever going to get to Mobile? No. It's impossible, but a lot of times that's what we do in life, right? We have that dream. We have that vision, 
but we're spending the most of our time driving in the wrong direction. That's why James says this. Look, look what he says. Don't just listen to God's word. Or it's not enough to know. You put action behind it. You must do what it says. Otherwise, you're only fooling yourself. Right? You're dreaming a dream that will never come true. And so we're going to, we're going to put action behind it. And as we do that, as we walk through it, here's some things we're going to do. We're going to avoid distractions. We're going to avoid distractions. I love watching the Olympics. So every four, in this case, five years, when they come along, I like to watch them. And one of my favorite things to watch is, is the rowing, is the skull racing. And I like the big boats because they're going the fastest, right? They have, I think, eight people in there. And there's one guy in the back with a megaphone, right? And he's just hollering at them. And that would be me, right? I wouldn't want to put in the work. But if you're just going to give me a free ride, I'll holler at you. Like, hey, he's just sitting there and he's going, row, right? That's all he's doing. And when he says row, you know what they do? They row. That's what they do. That's his job is to keep them on course and to keep them at a steady pace. And when they need to speed up, he says, row faster. When they need to slow down, he says, row slower. But they're following his lead. And guess what? They're not looking at where they're going. They're looking at him. They're looking at him. That's a good picture, man. That's a good picture of what it means to walk with Jesus. That we're following him. When he says go left, we're going left. When he says go right, we're going right. When he says speed up, we're speeding up. When he says slow down, we're slowing down. But but our, our eyes are not on the distractions. They're on the person of Jesus. And when we follow him, we'll get to where he wants us to go. And so we, we push the distractions aside. Distractions, anything, by the way, that steals your focus, your time, your energy, or your money. And so we remove those things from our life. In the book of Ephesians, the Bible puts it this way. So be careful how you live. Don't live like fools, but like those who are wise. Make the most of every opportunity in these evil days. So we're going to live like people who are wise. That means we stop asking as followers of Christ, what is the only decision I can make? Or we stop asking, is it okay? We begin asking, is it wise? Like, yeah, I can do that. But is that the wise decision for me to make? It's possible, but is it going to get me where I want to go? And we begin to to change our lives and we live like wise people. But listen, if the enemy can't distract you by building things you were never meant to build, he'll discourage you. And discouragement leads to doubt. And when you begin to doubt God's plan or his will for your life, you'll begin to lie to yourself. You'll blame it on the enemy, sure enough, but it's you. You'll begin telling yourself, man, did God really call me to do that? No way, I won't ever be that person. I won't ever be that kind of father. I won't ever be that kind of mother. I won't ever be someone who manages what God has given me that way. There's no way I can ever do what I feel called to do inside of my heart. And you will begin to create your own doubts. And you'll begin to doubt what God has called you to do, and you'll become discouraged. And I just want to encourage you to fight discouragement with the truth. And so fight discouragement with the truth. Let's skip to it. Here's what we're going to do. Romans 8 puts it this way. It says, We know that God causes everything to work together for the good of those who love God and are called according to His purpose for them. But don't miss that again. Who are called according 
to his purpose. God has called you. And he's called you for a purpose. And there will be moments in life when you become discouraged and you think there's no way that I can complete the race that God has called me to run. That maybe someone else can do it for me. And I would remind you that the Bible says that all things work together for the good. So when you feel like life has fallen apart, you can rest assured that God is still working. That he's still moving. That he's still bringing about something good in your life. And he will take even your mistakes and use them to bring about his will. He's working. He's active. He's doing something. And when you feel down and when you feel like you can't accomplish what God has called you to, remember the words of Peter. It's going to work. There we go. First Peter 5, 7 says this. Cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. Listen, God never promised that following his will for our life would be easy. But he did promise that as we follow his will for our life, we would never be alone. He said, lo, I'm with you always, even to the end of the days. That's a promise for you, and that's a promise for me. That we're never walking along. And listen, Jesus hadn't called you to do something that he hadn't already done himself. As Jesus marching toward his death on a cross, this occurs. Just a few chapters later, we see Jesus carrying his cross to a place called Golgotha. They nail him to it, and for hours he suffers. And then one last time, he pushes up on the nails that are in his wrists and in his feet. He says one word. He says, to the left side. For us, it's translated into three. He says, it is finished. It's finished. Jesus finished. And he's called us to be a people who finished too. Listen, here's a few next steps for you today. And the first one is this. Is start what you've never started. Start what you've never started. What is it that God has placed inside of you that you know you're called to, that you've yet to begin? Listen, it's not too late. Start it. Start it. Do it. Begin praying about it. Begin talking to other people. See what doors he opens when it's his purpose that that you're looking to accomplish. He'll do it. Maybe you're here today and you've never began your relationship with Jesus like we talked about at the beginning of the message. Then start it. Begin it today. Start what you've never started. Second, finish what you've started. A practical next step may be that you go home and you actually mow the backyard, right? Just become a person who finishes. Don't settle for someone who doesn't finish what they've started anymore, whether that be your walk with Jesus, your relationship with your spouse, your relationship with your kids or with your parents. Become someone who is known as a person who finishes what they start. And then finally here, avoid the distractions and stop building what you were never meant to build. Stop it. Don't build things that God has not called you to build. You're wasting your time and your energy and your resources when you do that. And so build the things that God has called you to build and let others build the things that he's called them to build. Hey, would you pray with me? Lord, we love you and we thank you and you're good to us. And God, would you remind us that no matter what stage we're at in life, that you've called us to be someone who finishes. Lord, you finished. You gave your life for us. You were buried and you rose again. 
Lord, we thank you that you did not quit. So, Lord, as we represent you, may we be known as a people who also finish. Because if you would, just keep your heads bowed, your eyes closed for, for just a moment. If you're in the room and you've never began that relationship with Jesus, I just want to say it again. That's where it starts. That before there can be an everyday surrender, there has to be a complete surrender. A point in your life, a point in time where you say, Jesus, I realize that I've messed this up, that I'm a sinner. And I need you to forgive me. And I trust you for my forgiveness, for my salvation. Then do it today. Do it today. You can say a prayer similar to this. This is a moment between you and God, whether you're online or whether you're here in the room. You can simply say, Lord Jesus, today I realize I need to start my relationship with you. Lord, I come to you confessing that I've messed up, that I'm a sinner. I ask you for forgiveness. Lord, I believe that you died to pay the price for me, that you were buried and you rose again. God, I pray for anyone who said that prayer just now. God, I thank you that you're a God who continues to bring about new life. Listen, if you said that prayer, we want to talk to you. There's something that you can do. You can text us and we'll walk through that in just a minute. But don't begin that relationship alone. Share that with someone else today. For the rest of us in the room, Lord, drive home the truth of your word that we should be finishers. God, would you birth dreams in you in this room today? We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.